Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today Dr. Michael Austin. Uh, Mike is a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, and he is the author of God and Guns in America. Now, he has a very well thought out, um, I would say, um, for lack of better terms, balanced perspective on the volatile debate about guns in America. He is a, uh, a Christian. He is a very thoughtful guy. He's an author of uh, 12 books, including his most recent book, God and Guns in America. And I had a wonderful time talking to Mike. I love how careful um, and gracious of a thinker he is. So you can check out more about Michael Austin's work at Michael uh, w And if you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology support the show for as little as five bucks a month and get uh, access to loads of premium content in return. Thank you to the 250 plus of you out there who are supporting theology in the raw. I've really enjoyed getting to know you through that platform. Or if you just want to quickly support the show, you can just Venmo, um, your gift to me. The Ven- my Venmo account is in um, is in the show notes. So, without further ado, let's get to know the one and only Dr. Michael Austin. friends i'm here with mike austin author of god and guns in america mike thank you for being on the show and my first question is do we have a gun problem in america and how do we go about fixing it (laughs) we'll start off with a nice and easy question yeah good thanks for having me on uh yeah i'd actually say we have um, multiple types of gun problems, right? So I'm a philosopher, I'll be annoying that way. Um, and that there are a lot, I think there are piecemeal ways we can address it. Um, so big picture kind of stuff, it's close to 40,000 people a year now due to gun violence, uh, die due to gun violence every year. And that's been steadily increasing over the years. It surpassed death by auto accidents in recent years. Um, And I would say, I think one thing a lot of people, it doesn't get discussed as much, roughly two-thirds of those deaths are are by suicide. And so uh, there might be different ways to address that than some of these other concerns. You know, the mass shootings get, when they happen periodically, all the publicity and all the discussion about background checks and other things. And I think there's, of course, there's, I think there's merit to some of those policy changes. But at the core... You know, we can resolve, we don't resolve, we can reduce deaths by gun violence if we do two things, right? If the church is more the church and, and there's more therapeutic uh, interventions with people and if guns in homes are stored safely. So, so, um, so you're not advocating yeah. for reducing the number of guns, just more responsible possession or, or use of them? Or is it a both and? Yeah, I don't even know how... I mean, that's, there's so many guns in America, right? I mean, I think more guns are the same number of guns as people, yeah. although the people that actually own them, they're a small number that own a large amount of guns. So an example, a guy, an acquaintance of mine in town, someone else, a mutual acquaintance told me he has about a quarter of a million dollars worth of guns in a safe in his house. And so that's a lot of guns <laughs> that one guy's got. Um <laughs> So yeah, I, in some ways, I think we should reduce the number of guns only because that allows ease of access and they get into the hands of easily get into the hands of people who will use them for uh, you know immoral purposes. But the primary 
argument of the book in terms of policy is um, that you know we can we can reduce gun violence while protecting the rights of responsible gun owners, and that the followers of Christ have really good reasons grounded in their faith to do that. So there are policies, there are moral and spiritual things to address, right? It's a big thing, but yeah. we can make progress. Can you um, can you speak to like what specific maybe gun law reforms you would see as most most urgent? Um, I've I've heard that like at gun is it gun fairs or something where it's really easy to get a gun or lack, you know, background checks or somebody has had some uh, mental health issues in the past that that sometimes doesn't go checked. Is that in my long to right lines here? Or what would you say to yeah. improving gun laws? Yeah, I think that's one thing that could be done. People call it the background check loophole, right? So if you go to a license, a federally licensed gun dealer, they do a check, but you know, several years ago, there's this like huge, open air sort of, I don't even know what to call it, flea market thing near our house. And we walked to one, and there are guns every, I mean, just everywhere sitting out. And I grew up in Kansas, so I'm sort of used to that. But then I moved we, because of school to LA and then Boulder, Colorado, a little bit different <laughs> approach to guns there. But yeah, anybody can just walk up and buy one. So uh, I work some now with every town for gun safety. And one thing that they're advocating that I think is good is just make the background checks actually universal. Um, that's not going to solve everything because there's no perfect law, but it will reduce uh, gun violence to some degree. So that's one. I also, one thing that I think is more urgent even than that is to have some kind of national or at least through all 50 states, what's commonly called red flag laws, um, or extreme risk protection orders. So this is where a family member, healthcare professional, police, a friend can say this person is a danger to themselves or others. And they would get their, if they have guns, they're removed from their custody from anywhere, depending on the, on how they can get into court, a uh, few days to two weeks. And if, if there's evidence, then the, they're with, they're uh, removed from their custody until uh, they're capable to have them again. A uh, key thing there is you want due process because you don't just want to be able to remove, you know, mm-hmm. have your guns removed just because your neighbor is mad at you about, you know, mowing a swath into their yard or whatever. So part of that is you have to have actual evidence and provide it. But I think, look, the states where that's happened, uh, Maryland is one of the earliest ones to adopt it. A sheriff in one of the, Montgomery County, Maryland, I believe, said that out of the first 305 that were valid, uh, five of those were potential school shootings that were averted. So that one, I think, can really um, have an important impact fairly quickly. What, what is it true that most people that... Um are using guns to shoot people like, you know, <laughs> illegal use of guns to kill people. Um, or, or, well, let, let's leave aside the suicide one for a second. Would you yeah. say that criminals um, using guns would, um, are they buying guns legally? Would gun laws even, um, even if we made guns illegal, you know, what would that reduce the number of criminal activity with a gun? Is there, what, what's the evidence say on that? Is there evidence? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a hard question because there are so many guns. I think a lot, I mean, there are a lot of guns sold illegally, um, but there, it could, actually there's evidence like the city of Milwaukee is a good example. So a few years ago, there's one dealer within the city limits was selling a lot of what are called junk guns, right? Without really doing background checks. So a a large number of cheap guns found their way into the, into the city. And then once they clamped down on that, there was, this is from memory, so uh, roughly a 30% drop 
in, uh, in gun crimes just because of that. I mean, people made that connection because it was such a big supplier. So part of the problem is buying them illegally. And so you've got to have, uh, that's why just having the background checks not going to solve it because there are a lot of guns out there in circulation right now. With that in mind, it would be a longer term thing that as guns become less available illegally, we might see more impact over 10 or 20 years. But yeah, I mean, but the other, another problem is people who wouldn't, who can't pass a background check, they have like straw purchasers. Um, yeah. So someone will buy the gun for them, you know, go through the background check. And sometimes it's really obvious. They'll come into a, this is why this one gun shop got in trouble. People would come in, it was clear they were buying it for this other guy. Oh, wow. And they would just run through it and yeah, here you go. So yeah, that's why it's a hard issue because there's, you know, when you've got that many people, yeah can get them, but there's evidence that you can reduce it, right? I think we always want to think, well, if I, we just do this, we're going to solve yeah. it. But, you know, there's a policy angle we can take, but there are other ones as well that are probably, I would say, actually more important. But We'd love your thoughts on a couple of slogans. Number one, um, guns don't kill people. People kill people. If they don't have a gun, they'll use something else. Is that, yeah. is that valid or... Uh, I have a whole chapter in the book on slogans like that. And luckily <laughs> enough for me, that's one of them. Um, and that's one, you know, it's sort of the, it's valid in a sense because it's true, but of course the response is if you want to like just marketing or traffic and cliches, yeah, people kill people with guns and it's a lot easier to do it. Right. Um, they're much more efficient. So, you know, I, I had, a, I debated a guy several years ago in, in print and he said something you know, take away guns, people use the knives, take away knives, they'll use rocks, or are you going to ban rocks because, you know, Cain killed Abel with a rock? I'm like, well, yeah, but guns are more effective, right, at killing. And so I think, especially from a Christian perspective, this is what I find really, I guess, interesting is it's a, it sort of cuts against certain kind of theology, right? We think human beings are fallen, and yet many people who would agree with that one sort of unfettered access to to weapons that can do a lot of damage. So, um, people, I, I think we can re we can make it difficult, more difficult for people to express that fallen nature uh, using a gun. So, yeah, I, I would say there's merit in it, but you know, you could say the same people don't kill, or you know, people don't wait. wait nuclear weapons don't kill people; people do. Well, yeah. I don't want my I don't want my neighbor to have you know weapon of mass destruction. So. Of course, that's extreme, but I'm just trying to point out the yeah. the flaw in reasoning. So it just seems over, like a little, from my vantage point, a little too overly simplified, and almost non-falsifiable, right? It's like I mean, you're a philosophy guy. It's like, well, yeah. of course, people kill people, but that's kind of like it's kind of a red herring to the actual deeper, complicated questions that we need to get at. Um, yeah, and there are some of those on both sides. And look here, and so here's an example of maybe why that's important. The guy, you know, back at the when the Newtown shooting happened in Connecticut several years ago, there was a school attack that same day in China, a knife attack. Oh. Well, nobody died. I mean, people were injured, but nobody actually died in that knife attack um, compared to what happened in um, Newtown, Connecticut that day. So the point's not that we should ban guns. It's not my claim, but they're deadly, right? And right. if we can. You know, so that sort of reasoning that people kill people, guns don't kill people, people do well. Yeah, but they make it really easy for someone intent on doing so to harm a lot of people quickly. Right, right. There's also, and I don't know if there, there's been studies done on this. I'm sure there has, or if you can even measure it. But there's something, I don't know, like psychologically altering or powerful with having a gun in your hands. I'll never forget. So I, I own a few guns. I 
don't shoot people with them. I, I believe in nonviolence, so I don't, it'd be impossible for me to use them on an intruder because I don't believe I, I should. And I'll get some emails for that. But um, uh, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Um, oh, but I, I, so we do a lot of hiking in the mountains here, and there's, there's some pretty aggressive wolves up in the Idaho mountains. And it's, it's you know, you go in the back country, and it could be uh, somewhat dangerous. I, I, don't, I don't have the same moral qualms shooting an animal that I do shooting a human. Um, so, I've, so I went and bought a handgun. Okay, nine millimeter to backpack with. Um, and even me, as somebody who believes in nonviolence, who would never, in principle, use this on a person, I'll never forget walking out of that store, which was incredibly easy to get, by the way. <laughs> and in Idaho, I can carry it loaded with a bullet in a chamber on my holster open in downtown Boise. And there's no, they changed a law a few years ago, which to me uh, makes me nervous, uh, quite honestly. But um, um, there was something, I don't know, in my own psyche, even given my worldview, there was something that just, I, there was a sense of like power that I felt even driving home. Like, man, if somebody flipped me off, who do they think that, you know, like, and I, and I, <laughs> I just felt that kind of like adrenaline almost. I mean, is that, is, is there something to the almost unquantifiable psychological power that comes with somebody walking around packing a nine? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, of course, it's a case by case basis, but I think there is something to that. You know, there's a documentary a few years ago called Armor of Light um, about a guy named Rob Shank. I don't know if you've seen that or heard I'm of him. I'm good friends but... with Rob, yeah. He's okay, great. good, yeah. <laughs> so I've gotten to know him over the years and worked some with the, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. But yeah, he, in the video and in one of his books, he talks about shooting, I can't remember if it was an AR 15, but they're at the range firing guns, and he just talked about the adrenaline and the the power and the, mm. those kind of things. And so I grew up in Kansas. I grew up hunting around guns. I own a shotgun. Mm -hmm. So that's a little different because the kind of gun culture I grew up around was primarily about hunting. Yeah. And so I meant there's this, there's been this shift. People call a shift in America from gun culture 1.0 to gun culture 2.0. 2.0 is more about self-defense. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that's more relevant to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there is something to it. In fact, what's interesting some of the military training, this relates to the character and sort of that, how that impacts your psyche. You know, some of the people, the training in the military that started happening because of the low firing rates, like there were, I want to say 10 to 15% in World War One. This is like verifiable and the military is accepted of soldiers actually fired at the enemy. They either wouldn't fire their guns, they'd fire into the air. So they adjusted their training by Vietnam, it was a 95% firing rate. A couple things helped them. And it's one of them was the type of training they did where they create a conditioned reflex to shoot, right, without thinking about what you're doing, which is understandable because you're trying, you know, to be an effective soldier, you need to do that. Um, but the un unfortunate byproduct is that leads to a dehumanization of the other, right? You're not even thinking about them as human. And then the, the other thing to do with that, and this is more a moral question, is if you can dehumanize the other by their less moral or subhuman, so racist epithets, things like that. The reason I bring this up, and this is talked about in mil, you know, by military authors, so it's not controversial in that sense. It's not like a, you know, a pacifist just railing on the military. Um, it's, they accept it, right? Those same things are present in gun culture 2.0. So targets used to be bullseyes, then they were silhouettes. Now some targets that the people practice with are photographs of actual human beings that you're practicing shooting. And it's the quick shoot reflex, right? There are these drills where you go through. And then a lot of some of these open carry, and this isn't all gun culture, it's a segment of it, but they talk about themselves. So let's say I open carry, I'm, a, I'm one of the sheepdogs, right? 
the other guys don't carry. They're sheep that I'm protecting, and then the bad guys are the wolves. And so I think all that stuff together mm. is problematic from a Christian point of view because, look, and yeah, I've, I'm not a pacifist, but I've moved a lot closer to it actually doing the work on this book and even since then. And I just bought like four or five books of Mennonite pastor friend of mine suggested. So <laughs> I've been saying I'm not a pacifist yet because I feel <laughs> I feel like it's coming. I'm about as close as you can get without it. But yeah. anyway, um, and I don't even know what I was talking about, but. <laughs> Well, let me throw another slogan out. Yeah, go ahead. That's good. This is the one that I hear a lot. Um, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Yeah, and that's I, that's another one I deal with, and that's just that's demonstrably false. Like you can, and I, I give several cases where people have stopped bad guys with a gun through actually sometimes nonviolent means. And this was several years ago in Atlanta. A guy was in court. Somehow he got a hold of a bailiff's gun. Mm -hmm. I think he shot and killed a judge, shot a couple people and escaped. He ended up carjacking a woman. He's in her apartment. She starts reading to him passages out of, of all things, Rick Warren's A Purpose Driven Life and the Bible. Yeah. And he ends up letting her go, and she calls the police. Um, there was the guy, one of the Waffle House shootings, I think, recently. He just overwhelmed the guy physically. Uh, so there's several stories where, look, and it's— <laughs> It's, it's just, it's not the only thing. Right. Um, and so I think just like when you start reading as I am now about the power of nonviolent resistance over the past, even a hundred years, yeah. you start realizing there's a power to it that can, can actually be effective. I heard a story of a woman who just, a guy broke into her house and she just took a strong authoritative tone and was like, no, you do not belong here. And it just kind of freaked him out and he left. Now I'm not naive because yeah. not everybody's going to do that. But if if someone's going to rely on a gun, my concern, I think I talk about a lot in the book here, is you've got to be well-trained and you've got, there's a lot of conditions. Some of them just, I would argue, are moral, some legal. Because if, you, if you've got a gun in the house, you're, you're realizing, and there are terrible stories like this, you might shoot somebody in your family. You might shoot someone who you think is an intruder who's not. Are you willing to kill another person made in God's image in general? criminal or something. And then second to that, you know, there are terrible stories I read about, about, you know, a teenage daughter popping open out of the closet to scare her parents. And then the dad, dad shot her. And, you know, the last thing she says, well, I love you, daddy. I mean, it's just as a father, you know, it's just like every time I think about that, it just makes me sick. And so I think we just, it all mixes together, right? America, we have this unique relationship to the gun. I mean, I grew up I was in high school in the 80s, so like loved Miami Vice and thought that was so cool. And I, that forms our psyche, right? The cool guy with a gun that you don't mess with. Um, Tombstone's one of my favorite movies, so I'm not. But, you know, there's this. That's yeah, such there's, a good, there's, I'm sorry. That's such a good movie. <laughs> it is. I just, True. Okay, so I am a – I don't like the term pacifist, but for lack of better yeah. terms, I believe in Christocentric nonviolence. Um Tombstone and Gladiator, by two of my favorite movies, and I, I guess I can get away with it because these are historic. Right? The fact is, guns and violence and murder and all this stuff is part of history. So, understanding the truth of history doesn't mean you whitewash it; you acknowledge it, and so on. So, um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's people said I'm inconsistent with my choice of movies and my theological views. I, I, I don't know. If, maybe I am a little bit. I don't know. I don't think I fully am. But um, yeah, yeah, I love what you said about the scenario. I mean, I've, I've often. I, when you were talking, you've probably read a lot of Ron Sider on this, right? He's got a whole book on nonviolent revolutions and how 
Um, I mean, from a Christian standpoint, I've often said, I probably got this from somebody else, but like Christ demands faithfulness, not perceived effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, even if more times than not killing the bad guy with a gun stops him from killing you, that might be perceived as effective. doesn't mean it's faithful. Um, you know, and, and obviously there's so many passages in the new Testament I could cite to faithfulness leading to death, you know, I mean, um, yeah. so um, but even that, that scenario of good guy with a gun, bad guy with a gun, good guy whips it out, kills bad guy, or somebody breaking into your house. It's, a, it's such a two-dimensional, it's it, a two-dimensional scenario. And, um, you know, I, I was in a, in a blog exchange with uh, Doug Wilson, who uh, we had a bit a debate about um, guns and Christianity and everything. And, um, and he's a really brilliant guy, you know. Um, but I'm going to bring it up like, you know, that's classic scenario. Someone breaks into your house. What are you going to do? You're going to kill him or let him, you know, rape your family. I'm like, OK, well, I don't, in this world you're creating for me, I have a few questions. You know, do I I don't have a loaded gun in the house, so I wouldn't be able. OK, let's just pretend you do. OK, so I keep a loaded gun laying around my house with four children. Do you know, do you know the stats on how dangerous that is? OK, OK, well, it's locked away in the safe. I'm like well, how can I go to my safe and get, you know, like I, what, in the real world, what does this look like? Okay. It's so just pretend like you can go to the safe, you get it, you come out, you got a loaded gun. He's got a loaded gun. What do you do? Well, am I a good shot in your fictitious scenario? Yeah. You're a great shot. Well, then I'd shoot the gun out of his hand. Well, no, no, you're not that good of a shot. Well, okay. Well, I'd be scared. I'd miss him and hit my kid in the head behind. If I'm not a good shot, I'm start spraying bullets in my house. Where are my kids in your the more you start pushing the real world situation, let alone the adrenaline and, and what happens to the human psyche when you're about to pull the trigger in that heated moment. I mean, trained military snipers say thousands of hours of training. I had a buddy who was in um, Navy SEALs. He was a trained sniper in BUDS and I mean, top of the top. He says, do you know how incredibly hard it is to pull that trigger and the psychological impact that you live with for the rest of your life, even in a, quote, good kill? To think that you're just like, from the hip, bam, got the bad guy. Like, that is so shaped by um, an American myth. And I don't mean myth as in completely untrue, but a, well, I'll say American narrative that doesn't represent the full complexity of real life. Anyway, th this is your interview, not my interview. I just, you <laughs> yeah. no, that's good. It's something I had to think through a lot because, you know, as I had sort of just war justified violence, intuitions and beliefs over the years and just, you know, it's one of those things where it just seemed obvious, right? I remember we had a debate, like we would do these on campus, our philosophy department. And I took this sort of just war position and, you know, I said, what are you going to do? I mean, I just, it just seemed obvious to me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then you actually start thinking and reading and really more than anything, it was scripture that's pushed me to what this view I call peace building in the book, mm -hmm. which would push me, which is about as close to the pacifist or Christocentric nonviolence, yeah. right? Yeah. As you can get without being it. And I think that's something that I think we have to take much more seriously as American Christians because the, the triumphalism, the, yeah the uncritical acceptance of a lot of slogans, both left and right, but honestly, especially among evangelicals, it's primarily the right-leaning slogans with guns that that we accept. There's just a lot of like, well, let's just step back a minute and how have we been formed? Well, you know, good for good and bad, and what do we do with that? And this, the, yeah, I, I just think 
it breaks the way people talk. And this is something you see people talk on social media. And this, I actually discuss this a little bit in the book, the way Christians talk about their guns. You know, I bought this new, here's my new gun and it, it'll stop a bad, you know, this guy in his tracks or my wife's got a pistol. Don't mess with her. I'm just like, if you're going to take a gun in your hand as a Christian and you feel like that's something that you are led or permitted or obligated to do, that is so serious. It's not, you know, it's just, it's minimized. So like, just like killing, yeah, I'm a, you know, I killed the bad guy in my house. Well, yeah. And then like, you're just going to not have a trouble sleeping that night. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, like your friend, the seal said, these are, these things have an impact. That's why veterans coming back, a lot of them struggle so much, right? Coming to terms with what they did. And we owe them an incredible debt of gratitude, obviously, for putting their lives in line to protect so we can sit here and do this stuff. Yeah. But we don't want to minimize the cost to them um, of that and how that would impact us who aren't trained. I mean, yeah. think about when your adrenaline's rushing. I don't want to have a gun pointed anywhere in the direction of my family because I, you know, I can't imagine how much fear and adrenaline be coursing through my veins as an untrained, you know, not trained in that. Right. Right. Can you, you, I mean, the title of your book is God and guns in, in America. Um, can you speak to the conflation, the intertwining of American gun culture and American evangelicalism? It seems like, again, I have not read your book yet. Um, is that a theme in your book? Do you address that? And how, how would you unpack that relationship? Yeah, I do a little bit. Um, a lot of the more God-centered stuff is trying to walk through Scripture and sort of Christian thought about violence and gun violence. But, but there's a little bit about that. And I think for whatever reason, I mean, you think about the Bible Belt, actually the part of the country I'm in now, um, there's, uh, there's a strong gun culture. Um, I know there is out West. It's different there in some ways. Um, the Midwest there is. And often that gets intertwined with, with uh, our faith, um, patriot faith, patriotism, family tradition. So I just was telling somebody the other day about this story. I went to the barber um, before the pandemic, and one of the other barbers, he was talking to the guy in the chair, and he just says, oh, yeah, I've got a gun, and he pulls a handgun out of his front pocket. And it was one that's been passed down in, in his family. And I'm kind of used to it now, but the point of it is that was – that was part of like, this is like a, a valued family heirloom for lack of a better way to put it. Right. So that gets mixed in I, a, a, a colleague on campus. When we were talking about the book briefly. She said, well, I'm looking forward to reading your book because that's what we believe in God and guns. And it just, I don't know what, I mean, part of me wants to say, this is just that annoying philosophical habit. I don't know what that means to believe in guns. You know, I didn't do that to her because you know, I didn't want to ruin her day, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of somehow it's got intertwined, right? We're, these views about America being a nation blessed by God, which it is, um, obviously in many ways, just like many other nations are blessed, but you, and then the second amendment and guns and self-reliance and question, you know, doubts about trusting the government. I mean, all that stuff gets mixed in and evangelicals I find are the ones that often are kind of putting forth these cliches or throw out a proof text or two, like it's settled. And I just want people to, okay, whatever you, whether you agree with me or not, let's just sit back and look at some of these arguments, pro and con, look at the relevant scriptures. Let's come to an informed uh, spirit led conviction, not just seat of the pants sort of gut reaction. Yeah, that's good. I was, I was meaning to ask you with, the, with going back to the gun laws, what do you think of AR 15s or so-called, assault rifles. I know there's a debate about even that phrase assault. I can assault somebody with my single shot 270. It'd do a lot of damage, but it's not an assault rifle. Um, yeah. Or, or semi-automatic, but most gun, I mean, a handgun semi-automatic. 
Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, AR-15s ban them or no? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Is, that, is it a problem I'm, having AR-15s in our country? Or I mean, I I think it is a problem banning or not. And here's the difficulty with assault weapons and. And, and I sort of beg off giving a definition of the book. I said we just need to come up with a good one because when you, it's like getting five philosophers in a room, ask them to define justice, right? You're just, you're <laughs> going to go nuts, right? People, the assault weapon, when they define it, either it's sometimes it's too narrow or it's so broad that it like somebody's my automatic 22 rifle that you, you know, you give your 10 year old or something fit. So yeah, it's tough. But I guess my thought is there's some reason why these, why the AR-15 keeps getting used. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who was in the military medic. He said he would never take that gun into combat, right? Because it doesn't have the kind of fire, you know, stopping power or something you would need. But I don't know. It sure is effective in these mass shootings. So yeah, I guess that's an area where I'm not sure. <laughs> now you'll be surprised we're going to get into this topic. I was actually on a podcast the other day. This came up one of the guys lives in Texas about feral hogs in Texas. Do you know about this? Like wild hogs, <laughs> like they're a problem in Texas. And so this guy said, I need my AR 15. Cause like a mass of 50 of these, like really dangerous pigs show up in my yard, you know, like <laughs> eating my crops or attacking my family, you know, and people roasted him on Twitter, but it's actually a real problem. And you need an <laughs> AR 15 for that? A good old 270 well, or uh I yeah, that's my cool. probably wouldn't do the trick, but no, yeah, the yeah, I guess I guess one bullet doesn't bring him down, so you need a yeah larger caliber. But another guy I know I've been dialogue some on the internet talks about like, protecting sheep, like literal sheep, from um, coyotes and wolves. So okay. I want to be open to that stuff, but yeah. I'm just I guess my that's where my skepticism comes in. I think I'm not sure. You know, those are like the exceptions. Do we need wide access to right. these? And if we're gonna have if we're gonna allow people to have them. That's where I would like tighter controls, meeting some conditions, because they, you can kill a lot of people in a short amount of time. Was that Matt and Anderson that said that? I'm just kidding. That's Matt. right, of course. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> you got wild. Yeah. Matt, you should dig up bow honey, man. Come on, bam, bam, yeah. bam. Yeah. yeah, he was just waiting to pull that one out. <laughs> That's great. Me, me and Matt go way back. We agree on most things in life, except for some things surrounding this conversation. But um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's not he's not a he's a very smart guy. Um, more guns, less crime. I think that's the title of a book actually that I yeah. was reading a while back. Um, that if we reduce the number of guns, crime's going to go up. And the argument, which is actually a good one, I think a good. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but like if you're a criminal and you're going into a neighborhood, you're going to rob um, a house. If you knew that every there there was a gun in every one of those houses, would you be more likely or less likely to go steal the TV or whatever? Um, I'm like, yeah, that's a good art. And, and just to clarify my own position, like I my main focus is on the ethics for the church. I am very mm -hmm. kind of Mennonite ish in that way. Um, I'm an exile living in Babylon, and I, I my main focus is to have a strong exilic community and theology. As far as Babylonian politics and how Babylon can manage its own crime, like I don't I don't have the authority or even framework to, to do that so so in a sense i when it comes to gun laws and all this i i don't have a necessary a particular in, investment or knowledge like, i don't claim to have any knowledge on this so i'm just a learner um so it may be gun maybe more guns would mean less crime maybe it wouldn't i just don't think it's ethically right for a christian to shoot people so anyway uh, but in terms of the policy is is that true more guns would equal less crime or is that debating yeah, that's a pretty 
highly debated and really there's the, the main guy that makes that case a guy named john lott yes um he him and gary cleck are kind of the two main sort of researchers and yeah i guess there's look so i think i've read some criticisms of Lot and some responses and as a philosopher I hesitate to get into all the, because I don't understand, you know, how people crunch numbers and statistics, but from reading people that seem to understand it, I think I don't buy his research about that. There's an intuitive sense of, of that, right? But it looks like the data doesn't show that, you know, that's a minority view. Uh, doesn't mean it's false, but people that know this stuff argue against it. And I actually, there's a, there's a book called The Gun Debate, What Everyone Needs to Know. Huh. Um, it's, it's for normal people, you know, it's not written to academics and it's pretty fair. Like it, it's honest about certain flaws in you know, gun control policies and talks about what works and what doesn't. That's actually something that helped me a lot. And then I read some other stuff too. I would say this though, that's true both for, um, both for Babylon and for the church is number one, American, let's start with, with America. American democracy aspires to something higher than that. We don't just want everybody armed and we were just sort of like a detente between two gangs as one author put it uh, he has the book called the guns make us free um Furman debra brander it's hard to say his last name but it's an excellent book so that that was some you know we we should aspire to more than that just in american democracy right and then he makes the point there was a, a situation he was in baltimore where an elderly man right people were saying well he should if he was armed he would be safe from the, the gangs around him and the drug gangs, but 20 young guys with guns aren't worried about an 80 year old guy with a gun, right? I mean, they're not, <laughs> he's vulnerable either way. Um, maybe less so, but I, yeah. I'm skeptical. It, it um, they're not going to avoid his house. It does also feel a little, again, two dimensional, more guns, less crime. Even if that's true, more guns would also mean more accidental shootings, more suicides, more mistaken identities, more shooting somebody who is, trying to steal your flat screen and sell it because his family's starving to death and now you killed him. That doesn't make stealing right. It just means there's a fuller context here that in the split second decision of I have a gun, he's a criminal, bam, bam, justice is done. That's not the yeah. real world. And if again, you keep that loaded gun around the house so that you can grab it quickly when the guy's breaking in, you now put your risk kids at a much, much higher risk. Um, or if it's in the car and your car gets jacked and now you have an illegal gun, you know, there's just, there's, even if the narrow binary of more guns, less crime, that doesn't solve the layers of complexities that come from that. Yeah. I've got questions about, and this might get us into an area that we're not, neither you or I are prepared for. I I don't know. Um, but I think of, um, over like 4th of July weekend, I, there, I don't know if it was a record high um, because I haven't paid attention to every 4th of July in the history of, you know, since I've been alive, but it seems like more people were killed last 4th of July than I have ever seen. I mean, Chicago alone, I think 111 people were shot. Something like 18 or 20 were killed. Uh, Many of them were underage teenagers and children. Atlanta had a lot. Baltimore, I mean, they're all over the place. Um, And South Chicago obviously has been, you know, a, a hot, you know, a hot place for loads of, uh, gun violence. Um, how do we address that, man? I, I and it, it includes race conversations. It includes poverty conversations. So I know it's, it's probably really complex, but do you have any thoughts on kind of like, yeah, that kind of gun violence going on in America? Yeah. And it's, it's, 
the past, like this past month, um, this was actually prior to the July 4th weekend. So it'd probably be even worse now. So Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, I think Atlanta, three, but at least those first three jumped to mind. There's a recent story gun, like the number of shootings is up 45 to 55% over just a year ago. Um, now I think what's, we've got this pandemic stuff in the mix right. too. People are just, I mean, we all, you know, I, I've got it pretty easy. I can still teach and I've done my job and, mm. but I, you know, there are times where I'm just like, I'm sick of this, you know? And, and so I've got sort of these pent up emotions and stuff. So yeah, there's a ton of stuff there, but yeah, I just, it, it doesn't have to be that way. So the, you know, the July 4th stuff, different parts of the country it's like we celebrate july 4th you know shoot your gun into the air so guns are, you know people are drinking kids are around guns are out bad things are going to happen accidentally um and then just yeah like all those cases you mentioned so the poverty yeah this is where i just think the solution has got to be it can't be just policy and it can't just be changing you know people's one heart one person at a time with a gospel it's got to be all that stuff plus a bunch more you know so there are people doing really good work churches on the ground in these communities being you know if we could resource them more addressing poverty addressing the the mental health issues addressing you know they people that feel hopeless or you know there's the drug i mean all kinds of stuff leading to gun violence and so I'm not naive enough to think you make it harder to get a gun, that's going to solve it, but that's one small piece. Okay. Um, I would actually pr- prefer, I mean, if I could, if it was up to me, if I was like king for a day, there were some policy things I'd change, but I would go more at the, what I think it was the more spiritual issues, right? Okay. Um, as, yeah, let's just, what's, what's, what's eliciting so much violence and careless violence out of the human heart, and how can we address that? In an individual and a social basis. I love what you said about the church. Yeah, I heard a pastor, a couple of pastors that are in South Chicago, and to hear them talk about what they're doing to help um, just reach out to teenagers and 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 try to, ref- like you said, address the heart issue among individuals who are being raised in this environment. Now, you need structural change, obviously, um, but it's a both and. This is this is the problem I see. I don't know in in some of the race conversations happening today it's like either it's all individual responsibility or it's all structural and you kind of take away human agency and or individual agency and i just it's can't be an either or right? i just see this pendulum swinging yeah. back and forth and the, it's, it's so sad the farther you read on the left or the right the farther on the right then it's like all individual there's no structural problems farther on the left it's almost like there is we're just a bunch of robots defined by our group identity and there is no individual moral responsibility um it has to be both right it has to be like yeah. I not say it's both but yeah i'm with you on that for sure yeah 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 and i think you know chicago is a case where people often say look gun laws don't work because chicago has strict ones and gun violence is rampant um this is what you know address this is one where there was a study i think of, of guns confiscated by the police i want to in the 2006 2011 something like that 30% of those guns came from one gun shop, uh, traced back to one gun shop outside of the city limits, so I think in Indiana. Well, yeah, Chicago's so it's kind minutes of like, away from Indiana, so having... Yeah, exactly. Illinois so it's like saying... Chicago. Yeah, it actually makes the case for wide, more widespread <laughs> restrictions on who can get a gun or the conditions. Yeah. Because, look, if for anything, okay, I can't get a mayor. Well, I'll go down there and buy 100 and then you know, sell them on the streets or whatever. So, um, But anyway, yeah. Yeah, this is why it has. It seemed like, and again, this is way outside my area, um, but it seemed like 
laws would have to be made at a federal level because we live in such pro, pro, close proximity to other states. I mean, and, uh, on another level, it's like Idaho doesn't have uh, uh, marijuana is still illegal in Idaho. Well, I live 45 minutes from the border of Oregon. Uh, it's funny, the freeway coming in in Ontario, Oregon, the last stop before you come into Idaho, there's this massive pot dispensary there, you know? It's almost like they have a drive-thru. I don't know if they have a drive-thru. Yeah. Go in, grab it, go in Idaho, and it's like, well, I'm not saying it doesn't help or whatever if people in Idaho think it still should be illegal, but it's like, I don't know, like, it's not that hard to get around it on a legal level, let alone, you know, obviously buying stuff illegally whether it's guns or pot or whatever but um right uh man well um one more question i mean it has to do again with the church and the gun culture um i i have you experienced just a lot of just heatedness um emotional attachment to like the second amendment um in ways that are unhealthy and where did that come from and how do we Again, not how do we? I'm not saying at all how do we do away with the Second Amendment, but maybe dethrone it so that it's not this yeah. like you know Eleventh Commandment in the Bible or something. Yeah, that's something that has bothered me, especially among evangelicals who are in part of the you know, sort of taking Scripture seriously, really high view of the Bible, and those kind of things, and yet there's this appeal to the Second Amendment like that settles the issue. Now it does legally, especially given Supreme Court decisions and. Um, 2008, 2010, about the individual right to own a gun. But of course, as Christians, that's important for us as American Christians, but much more important is, well, what does Scripture say? What, you know, how do I answer these questions from, from the, pers- from, as a follower of Jesus, how do I answer these questions? That's what matters more. And so, you know, actually, Rob Shink, you hear him say occasionally, we've replaced the second commandment with the second amendment, right? Yeah. And there's something to that, right? We just, I mean, yeah, I look, the Constitution, I'm, I'm good with it, right? I'm not, I don't, I'm not asked for banning the Second Amendment or, you know, thinking, the, of course, our country, I mean, we see this now, a mix of good and bad, a terrible legacy in many ways. Mm-hmm. We don't live up to our ideals. But if I'm a Christian, it doesn't, and that's not the question. It's, it's the spiritual question that it's the, I mean, I hate to use this old for, you know, old slogan is the what would Jesus do kind of question, mm-hmm. right? And I just struggle, and this is probably what pushes me more to, to nonviolence, is I really struggle to see if Jesus was here today. I, it's hard to see him carrying a gun. I just right. can't picture that. And so that's what, that's what challenges me the most um, yeah. as, as a follower, a follower of Christ, right? I'm supposed to live his life as if, or live my life as if he were in my shoes. And that's a tough one. Well, one more quick political question, because I'm, I'm yeah. you might be more knowledgeable on this than I do. You know, um, I've heard uh, mostly conservatives or Republican Christians say, Man, these liberals, these Democrats, they're just going to take away our guns. They, they say they're not, but they are. And they, you know, I've heard sound bites of people saying, yeah, absolutely, I'll take away your guns. I think Beto O'Rourke or others, you know, yeah. quotes. Do you think, I mean, is that uh, just from a purely political perspective, if, say, Biden gets elected or say there's a lot of, you know, or maybe it's not Biden, maybe it's the next one, whatever. Um, is that, do you think that's a, a real possibility that they would make guns either very 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 hard to get or they would literally come and take away people's guns or do you think that's just a fear kind of tactic yeah i think in general it's a fear tactic i mean there's certain there surely are people in the democratic party broadly speaking who want that who you know would want to repeal the second amendment but look i mean in the united states i'm not worried about if biden gets elected i can't 
you know, any more than, I mean, look, they were all worried about it when Obama, you know, and we yeah. still have our guns and actually gun sales and ammunition sales. I mean, my dad talked about he couldn't get ammunition for a shotgun because whenever it was available, people buy it up because they're coming, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look, of course, that's an, a right enshrined in the Constitution. It's not easy just to, because someone takes power as a political party to get rid of it, right? It's going to have to go through the Supreme Court. Um, but I'm, but look, I think out of the two parties, Democrats are more willing to, to do some of these things. Although there is, from my experience, doing a little work in D.C. on this issue, both Republicans and Democrats are open to like the red flag law. That's one reason I think I mean, there is some common ground where we can take, take guns out of people's hands who are demonstrably a danger to themselves or others. But yeah, I think just like, you know, people on, it's just, it's just like everything else. It's like the liberals, this, the Democrats, that the Republicans, this, and as a someone who identifies as a moderate and is registered independent, I get the joy of just saying you're all wrong. You know, <laughs> you know, just all just stop it. And I, it really bothers me when Christians do that. It just, yeah. especially with like the Democrats or this or the liberals or the lefties. I'm like, come on, man. Just let's, yeah, we have disagreement. Let's do better. So no, I'm not worried about that. Now, who knows in 50 or 100 years, but um, look, right now it'd be political suicide to do that in America. But there is broad, I mean, surveys show most people want more restrictions while protecting the right. And I think it'd be smart to do that and, and right. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I I'm 100 percent with you on politics. That's exactly where where I'm at. Um, I just yeah, I just imagine a scenario when people say, oh, they're gonna come take away our guns. I'm like, if if that went down in Idaho or Texas, or, I mean, do you know that that would be World War Three? There are more. Yeah. The average person in Idaho, I swear, owns 50 guns. I mean, I don't know if it's a stab, but it's everybody I meet has like you said <laughs> that your friend with 1500. All that's like, oh, dude, I got people that would go far. They just they collect guns like baseball cards. Like I used to collect baseball cards, you know, and yeah. they're, you know, the government's not going to tell me what to do. Like that would be not just political suicide. It would be all out literal war. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think left or right fear, get, you want to get people to give money, support you on fears affected. Yeah. Right. So both sides use it. And I just think it's overblown. Yeah. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show and thank you for your work. Uh, if you want to support this uh, channel, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash theology to raw um, to support both the podcast and the YouTube conversation. Uh, Mike, uh, many blessings on your future work in this area and beyond. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it, Preston. Thank you.